morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together out loud, chapter by chapter, looking at 2 Samuel chapter 9 today. Um, and this is, uh, you know, say this like five times fast. If you look in the ESV, David's kindness to Meshibosheth. Um, yeah, Meshibosheth. We're going to see if I can actually pronounce this name correctly throughout our program today. Uh, what's going on, though? Well, we've had lots of—we uh, saw in the last chapter uh, just lots of uh, violence and victory and conquest. Um, and so th- this is a little bit of a contrast here, and and you really see that really even though in this last chapter, um, you know, it was a lot of that conquest, it really— is about, just like our guest yesterday was saying, uh, Pastor Lekomsky, this is about the fulfillment of promises, God's promises, uh, the promise that David made to Jonathan and to Saul, his father. And you see, see this theme of faithfulness going on. It's it's a really neat little chapter here. Joining us today, we've got as our guest, Pastor Duncan McCallan. My goodness, I'm, I'm just, I see this name and I'm just drawn to a different one. Uh, Mc. Clellan, not McKellen, from mm-hmm. Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Ankeny, Iowa. Good morning, brother. Good to have you back. How are you and the brothers and sisters doing out there in Ankeny? We're good here at uh, at St. Paul in Ankeny. Um, yeah, we're doing good. Got a lot going oh, my, on. My notes um, at Emmanuel but, here. Is it St. Paul? Well, they're, try- they're trying to trip you up. They're trying to make you look bad. No, we are. We're <sighs> St. Paul. Okay. That. I hope. All right. I hope. I, otherwise, I went to the wrong building this morning, and <laughs> things are about to get interesting. But glad you, to spend you know, uh, glad to spend the hour with you. We got the we got a great text. Yes, I, I think I think so. Uh, one of these little moments, um, one of these kind of softer moments um, that may, maybe isn't as well known. Uh, maybe that has to do with people just shying away from the name uh, Mephibosheth. But um, <laughs> yeah, you know, you you just get to see how there there is a there was a kindness to David, and, and actually, we, we talked about that last time, too, how, you know, it seemed like, oh, man, you know, here's David just lining them up and, you know, um, executing people. But, I, I mean, I, I think that the, the the text itself, even in that chapter, was trying to highlight, well, look here, he didn't just annihilate everyone. He keeps sparing people, and here's the same thing. He's sparing, um, you know, someone who he could reasonably say, you know what, as a threat to my crown, I'm getting rid of them. Yeah, what you have here, I think, is one of the clearest pictures of the gospel in the Old Testament. Um, it, it foreshadows what, who we are, what Christ does for us, and who he, the identity he gives us. I, I don't think you find a more clear picture of that in the Old Testament. But you, you have your Isaiah 53, but that's more of the suffering of Christ. This is more of the relationship that God has with us in Christ. And it is, again, yeah, I think it's, the name of Phibosheth scares people away. You know, why were all the good names taken? What's going on here? Um, <laughs> but it's just a fantastic chapter. I think so. It's, it is. I, I, I love it. It's a really cool picture uh, for for us. You know, you get you get the description and, and we'll and we'll see this in a bit. Description of uh, Mephibosheth, who I mean, ne- next to David doesn't look very impressive. Right. Do- doesn't look like well, this guy's. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, he's he's unclean, right? He's crippled in both feet. He's unclean. His town means no word, no thing, low debar, right? I mean, he's from this nowhere place. He, as you mentioned, he's a threat to David's throne. He's a natural enemy to David. 
And, and, and we'll get into the text, but David just doesn't say, I'm going to be nice to this guy because of Jonathan. He's Jonathan's, uh, he's Jonathan's son, but he's, he's, uh, uh, he's, um, he says, I want to show him God's kindness. And so in this text, we're seeing what does God's kindness look like? And it's how David treats Mephibosheth. And you go, wow, like I've, that's how I've come to know Christ is he treats me in, in a very similar way very similar way uh, to how David treats Mephibosheth from uh, restoring land that was taken away to always eating at my table uh, to being waited on uh, by, by servants. I mean, it is, um, again, it's one of the most clear pictures of the gospel from the Old Testament. And David sets us up by saying, I'm going to show you, I'm going to give you an object lesson. I'm going to show him God's kindness. And, uh, Oh, there's so many things I can't wait to get into the text. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm glad that that you're. Uh, I think you're coming at this uh, on a similar angle that I am, and it's just a, such a cool image. And and I think we, you see that in the teaching of the Lord Jesus in the New Testament, just the images of being at the table, right? And and what what it, that, what that means, right? Being invited to the table, and that He would deign to have us at His table. And uh, wow, yeah, so very, very, very cool New Testament image. That you find here in the Old Testament, as you were saying. Well, before we get uh, too ahead of ourselves, though, brother, would you start us out with a prayer? Sure. Lord, thank you for this day and giving us time uh, to spend together in your word. We pray that through the study of your word, our faith in you as our Savior and Lord would be strengthened and your kingdom built up by faith. We ask this all through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, so let's go ahead and we'll read the chapter through. Uh, just to get it out there, ha, huh, on the table. Uh, before we do so, though, um, there's there's a few different names, um, characters. I guess, I guess maybe there's somebody wondering. Okay, now hang on a second. Who is Mephibosheth again? So uh, maybe uh, refresh our memories, uh, kind of place a couple things from context for us. Yeah. So I mean, the first time he's brought up is you're going back um, to chapter four. Um, is the first time we meet Mephibosheth. And even his name, it means um, from the mouth of shame, right? So it's, it's a, he doesn't have a very good, it's like Ichabod, right? I mean, it's like, it, it, it's one of those names that if you love your kid, you're not going to name him this. Um, <laughs> I've, I've tried my wife, we're, we're, we're expecting our third child here in a couple of months. And oh, I have hey, tried to get Alyssa to name too. our kid Mephibosheth because, oh, you, you're, you have a coronial also on the way. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I do in March. <laughs> Good deal. We we're actually due uh, of January first, so we're we're right on the on the oh. tax break uh, line. But yeah, ah, so it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so well, congratulations to you. I that's uh, that's fantastic. Yeah, send to you. That's great. That's great stuff. Wow, wow. What a way to start the new yeah, year. Yeah, rules out. I mean, for me, it rules out an early retirement. That's kind of nice, and uh, <laughs> you know. It's, well, uh, it's, you, it's you know, you need some motivation to keep going, right? So, you know, it's <laughs> yeah, just, right. you know, God sometimes knows how to give us that kick in the pants. So, that would be good. Um, so, so we 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 meet Mephibosheth um, in in Second uh, Samuel chapter four. Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet, and so right away we meet the son. He is he is unclean. Uh, he is crippled, and so um, so that, that's unfortunate that. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan, uh, that's that they, they perished, right, came from Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled. And the reason why, you, you alluded to this, the reason why they're fleeing is because 
uh, when a new king comes along, the first thing you do is kill all the uh, the the family members and the yeah. uh, officials of the previous uh, the previous dynasty because they would represent a threat to your throne. So the nurse picks up Mephibosheth and flees because uh, he's a wanted man or should be a wanted man. Uh, and uh, right, so she flees in haste. He fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. And so that, that's the background. So he's this guy that when you're in chapter four, you're like, well, I don't need to, he's not, he's, he's a threat, but he's not really a threat. I mean, who's going to follow um, the crippled son of the son of the former king? I mean, he's, he's a threat, but he isn't. He's, he's a pitiful character. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and I think that's important for understanding what, what, we're, what we're learning here uh, when we get to chapter nine. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's right. I mean, no, no one's, no one's scared of this guy. He's like tiny Tim or something. Right. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and this is, I think part of the reason too, why, uh, it was back when Ishbosheth was speaking of all those fun names, uh, was murdered that, I, I mean, it's kind of mentioned in connection to that where it seemed as if those Barothites were saying like, okay, well, Mephibosheth's out, you know, he can't walk. Uh, he's not a credible threat you know, as like someone who's going to march onto the battlefield and, you know, uh, lead people, you know, against David. So really that just leaves Ishbosheth. So if we get rid of him, you know, hey, you know, like David's, uh, you know, free and clear. So, yeah, I, I think that that kind of also speaks to that that, that idea there. Um, maybe maybe we'll want we'll to talk like a little bit more actually like about the name, but let's uh, let, let's let's uh, let's go ahead and just get into the chapter itself. So here we got. <laughs> Second Samuel chapter nine, beginning from the top. This is the English Standard Version. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him. Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. And the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodibar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodibar. And Meshibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his feet and paid homage. And David said, Meshibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Meshibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servants, so will your servant do. So Meshibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Meshibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. 
and all who lived in Ziba's house became Mishibosheth's servants. So Mishibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both of his feet. So, uh, I, like you were saying, I think um, it, at the core of it, I think there's a very relatable, um, kind of like surprisingly soft, warm picture here of just this kindness, an uh, image of grace. Um, very, very neat moment that feels very New Testament-like in the middle, where um, when Meshibosheth is brought there, you know, perhaps, uh, I mean, it's interesting, it says in verse 7, you know, do not fear, right? You're, you're wondering, like, oh, man, like, who else if you're Meshavashat, yeah. <laughs> he's found me, <laughs> right? Like, he's, you know, tying well, and you up wonder loose the whole, ends. The whole time, they bring, they bring Ziba in, right? And yeah. uh, Ziba bows down, because he probably thinks, I'm, I'm losing my head in this deal. At the end of the day, I'm not here. Um, are you Ziba? Yeah, I, I'm your servant. Like, please, please don't kill me. I'm on your mm -hmm. side. Um, yep. And then, is there someone else of your house that I can show kindness and you're like this sounds like something king herod would do like where is this one born king of the jews that i too may come and worship him like oh yeah you yeah. want to show you want to show this yeah. guy kindness right yeah, right, no, right, it, right. It, it, it's politician. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. like yeah is there anyone less in, left in the house of saul because i'd like to take care of them you know like oh no <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what is that right. oh, no. i know what he means but so so yeah and then uh david you know just he he says his name you know and, and that I mean, I think that's that's a that's a big moment too, where he's like he says the name, but then he says, you know, do not fear, uh, you know, just like these moments, um, you know, like, like like an angel or you know, like the Lord Jesus uh, to to someone before him who's just thinking like, oh oh no, like what what's happened to me? Or um, I, I mean, just you think of uh, the disciples on the Mount Transfiguration, right? Like they're just scared, and and then you know Jesus, you know, takes them on the shoulder and says, hey, it's okay. It's just me. Don't be, don't be afraid. So uh, just ver very cool, uh, I think, image overall. There are uh, a number of little, like, intriguing uh, elements to the story that we want to talk about, like the way that um, Meshavasheth is referred to as Saul's grandson. Is that what it says? Um, and then the last verse, you know, just seems kind of almost random, I, I feel like. I mean, at least in the translation, it's just like, now he was lame in both his feet. It's like, well, we sort of already have established that like a couple of times and that's Three times, end yeah. chapter yeah you know so there's a little a couple things like that but yeah overall just a beautiful picture anything um i don't know just thoughts on that or any other little quirks or details that jump out at you well the the idea i mean to me this is one of those we're reading the old testament or we're reading the bible in a year at home for devotions our kids are six and eight and so we're we're in we're in the prophets right we got through the history books and trying to get them excited about um, some of these, you know, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, there's things that pop up that they get excited about. And then all the history books about, you know, the, the genealogies and the, are we really going to read the first nine chapters of First Chronicles? You know, those kind of things. And going, trying to explain to kids why this is, this was really important for them. It's kind of a stretch to figure out why it's important for us at least yeah. at that age and even older. Um, but this is one of those texts where you're like, how is this not written? How am I not the primary audience of this text? I mean, this is, yeah. it, it begins with David saying, I want to show kindness to someone for the sake of another. And you're going, that's God's relationship with me. He's showing me kindness because of, because of the relationship, because of, because of what Jesus has done. And this is, 
this is my relationship with God. And for David to say, not just, he says at the beginning, I want to show kindness, but then he goes, I want to show a specific kind of kindness, not just random, I want to be nice to him, but I want to show God's kindness. So I'm going to deal with Mephibosheth the way the Lord has dealt with me. And you're going, oh, well, what way is that? And again, it's this do not fear, calls him by name, and then everything is by grace. I should kill you. Mephibosheth's right. What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? He's not wrong. And he's blown away with, why is my head still attached to my body? Like, I'm in the presence of the king, who's my natural enemy. I'm still crippled in both feet. And again, back then, crippled, not like we know today. Back then, that was one of the ways a person could be ceremonially unclean. Because I'm a nobody. I'm an enemy to you. I'm unclean. I offer you nothing. I can't do anything for you. Um, No one's going to follow me into battle. Like, I'm kind of worthless on my own merits, on my own righteousness, but you're giving me back my, the, the kingdom of my father, Saul. And, 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 and who knows if that was the actual kingdom of Saul, like you see on the map outlined, or whether it was Saul's ancestral land. But anyway, David is taking a risk yeah. by setting Mephibosheth up like, you can be a threat now. Like, you have yeah. resources and 35 or so servants. Like, if you, if you wanted to make my life miserable, David said, you could probably do it with what I'm giving you. Um, yeah. I'm giving you an opportunity to hurt me. And um, it's all by grace. None of it's deserved. And it's still at the end that, oh, and by the way, he's still crippled. It's still the same old Mephibosheth. Right? And you're going, how is this not my relationship with God? Right? He calls me by name, tells me not to fear, gives me everything by grace that I don't deserve because of his relationship with another, because of Jesus. And it's still the same old me. And who am I? That you should, of all the people of the earth, why should you notice a dead dog like me? Yeah, well, it is the clearest picture of the gospel in the Old Testament. Yeah, no, I, I, I love like, uh, well, just um, you know, again and again, like you were saying, how I mean, you, even in the chapters and the language, I, I mean, David's making it clear, like, I want to do this for you, not because of you, even right, but because of someone else, um, which is just you know a neat New Testament image. Um, and then uh, there's this dog language too, and just um, I, I mean, actually, it was it was just on on Sunday that like I was uh, well, you know, it was it was the commemoration, um, you know, it was all, I think the day that a lot of churches observed Reformation, um, but it was also the commemoration of um, Tabitha and uh, who are the other ones, Lydia and Phoebe. And, and so kind of like thinking of like uh, examples of, of women of faith in, in the scriptures, you know, one of the ones that jumps out at you, you know, the, the, the Syrophoenician woman, right, who compares herself to dogs, right? So, I mean, th- this this dog language, too, and, and that kind of moment also, ah, there's so many, okay, we could go on, I think, but I'm going to try to try to restrain myself here a little bit. Um, <laughs> let's, uh, let's, let's go back to the beginning of the chapter and just take a look at some of these little details here make sure we don't uh, miss these gems. So at the beginning of the chapter, um, you know, and, and David said, and it just kind of goes right off of um, what we had in the previous chapter. Interesting, at the end of chapter eight, you had this comment, David's sons were priests. Um, and this came up in a question from last time, because uh, you're thinking to yourself now, hang on a second, why are David's sons priests, right? Because Judahites, right? Like they're not supposed to be the Levites are supposed to be priests. Um, but the the text actually says that his sons like served as priests or like had, had come to serve in priestly functions or something like this. 
um, which I feel like is kind of an interesting tie-in then to this chapter, right, about the idea of kind of getting to exercise certain rights and privileges, even if you're not necessarily entitled to them. So, I mean, I wonder, you know, it, it, this might kind of seem like a little bit out of left field then when he's like, hey, I want to do something nice for the House of Saul. But uh, I, I think that there's there's maybe even a few more tie-ins. What do you think? It could be. I mean, so if you're left at the end of chapter eight going, wow, David's sons are undeserving of this uh, privilege. And then you get to chapter nine, speaking of undeserving, but wait, there's more. You want to yeah. talk about undeserving. And then it gets into David is showing his son's kindness, but now he's showing the Lord's kindness. Uh, it, 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 it ratchets up the, the grace, the chesed, the, the, the mercy that, uh, uh, that, that God shows. And so maybe if, if you read it back, you could say, yeah, David's sons are undeserving. They shouldn't be allowed to hold the, that position. Like, well, I shouldn't be a son of God either. You know, I shouldn't be part of his family either. Um, if we're going to play the merit game, we, we're all woefully, we're, we're, we're crippled in both feet and we're from low to bar. I mean, so, um, yeah, I think you can, you can definitely tie in an, an undeserved status or position that some people are going to be offended by. Uh, and I and I think um, right along with that, there's the idea of sparing some some remnant, and I think that that was a big theme back in chapter eight. Um, and in fact, there was something that only struck my eye um, in hindsight. Uh, we spent a, a good chunk of time talking about how David spared w- exactly one third of the Moabites. Um, the, kind of the conversation we have with Pastor Lukomsky, and we talked about, okay, well, you know, why is he attacking the Moabites to begin with? Um, but and I would encourage everyone to check out the podcast. It was a good conversation. Um, but one of the things that was interesting, too, I just didn't even, it didn't even hit me. You have all these big numbers thrown around, and it says there's uh, 22,000 Syrians that David struck down. There's 18,000 Edomites that are struck down, right? How many is that? That's 40,000. Well, it also says, though, that he took, right? He didn't slaughter. He didn't, you know, uh, strike down, but, you know, uh, I guess I don't kind of forcibly conscripted, but that means spare their lives. 20,000 then um, after his defeat of Hadadezer. So if he spares 20,000, and I know it's like, oh no, math question early in the morning. Well, it's not that early, um, but if you're on the Pacific coast, like me, it's still the morning, right? I actually, I need to take a drink of this green tea, speaking of which. Um, if you spare 20,000 and you kill 40,000, then how many of the total have you spared? That is one third. Uh, same fraction that you had with the Moabites. And so I'm wondering if like, there's really kind of also just this theme of sparing, right? Spare a remnant. And this is, hey, I'm going to spare a remnant from the house of Saul and fulfill my pledge to him. His name will not be cut off. And that, um, you might be seeing that at the end when it talks about that Mephibosheth, even though he's crippled in both feet, he does have a son. So the line, the line, the, the, the lineage of Saul and Jonathan continues, uh, that we have not, we have not wiped them out from the face of the whole earth. They too have an ongoing remnant, uh, that even this, this crippled in both feet, uh, from Lodabar is able to carry on the family line. 
Absolutely. And that's, and that's exactly what Saul asked of him. Um, I, I can't remember the chapter. It was like towards the end of first Samuel, but when they, when they had that covenant with him, um, and also his covenant with Jonathan, you know, that, that the name would not be cut off. And, and you see that again and again, um, throughout the scriptures and very cool gospel side to that as well it's time for our break though but when we get back we'll speak more to that point here looking at second samuel chapter 9 on thy strong word be right back Our Christian faith is under constant attack, and we must be proactive in keeping our children in the church. At Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, we believe that an education rooted in God's Word is one that stands against the very gates of hell. Nothing in this world is more important. Offering a rigorous classical Lutheran education, we provide in-person and live online remote learning opportunities for preschool through grade 12. To learn more about classical Lutheran education at Faith Plano, visit flsplano.org. That's flsplano.org. Some music has the power to make you sit very still. Other music makes you want to stand up and move, and still other music almost compels you to sing along. You're likely to experience all three kinds on the next Sing for Joy. Join us. Sundays at noon on KFUO, the messenger of good news. When I look at the x-ray of your funny bone, it seems that everything is a-okay. Medical research has proven laughter helps you both emotionally and physically. Wrestling with the basics on Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. are on demand. We've been putting the fun in the fundamentals for over 30 years. Over 30 years? Oh, don't put too much strain on your funny bone. Nine out of ten doctors agree. It's less painful than getting a flu shot. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at 2 Samuel chapter 9. Just an awesome gospel image here. Uh, not known so well, but we're talking about it here with uh, Meshibosheth. What a fun name there. Well, is that actually his name? This, is, this actually kind of brings up a fun point here. Uh, if you've got a question or comment for us, that was one of the questions. Like, hang on a second, is there some kind of name change stuff going on here? Uh, that was one of the questions on facebook.com slash AJ Espinosa. Just put your questions or comments right there in the box on the live stream. You can also give us a call, 1-800-730-2727, or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. Any questions or comments, or you can always send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. If you've got a question for me or our guest today, Pastor Duncan McClellan, pastor at St. Paul in Ankeny, Iowa, uh, where lots of good things are going on, including a countdown to to number three. Congrats again. That's, uh, yes, that, thank that's, you. That's, that's, uh, that's really something, too. January, well, that would be very interesting, too, if it was actually January 1st, right? Because, uh, well, I mean, anyways, I, I could go on about, like, names and dates, and I really 
get too much excited about that. But here's a name that I should not be forgetting to mention. <laughs> the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. There are underwriters for the high strong word. Their website, lhfmissions.org. I uh, don't know if you'll find any illustrated books uh, starring Meshibosheth, but they, they do uh, distribute a lot of like cool materials and books, uh, storybooks even, um, different things in different languages, lots of cool things, uh, lhfmissions.org. All right, so uh, let's get back to this here. Uh, I think we were seeing some like thematic connections, this whole sparing a remnant. And of course, that's that's a big theme in the in the Bible in general, right? And you don't want to talk about, you know, at the beginning of the program, you're mentioning like, well, see, how do we see ourselves? Like, well, I mean, we're, we're this, I mean, we're here because God spared a remnant, right? Mm -hmm. He has, he has not, a, he has not given up and uh, he will have a people for his own. Well, well, and, and I think that too, when you, when you look at the language of Isaiah, um, for instance, there's this talk, you know, like, who is like my servant, you know, who is, you know, uh, like, it's like the list is like blind and crippled and deaf and mute, right? Like, it's just every everything um, going on here. And I think that the idea there is that, uh, I mean, a lot of those descriptors too, um, deaf, mute, blind, uh, unable to walk, are descriptions of idols, right? And, and so I, I think the idea on a certain level uh, it's going way back to when we read Isaiah on the program. Um, you know, God's people has become like the idols that they have turned to. Uh, they're, you know, good for nothing, and they ought to be wiped out according to the curses of, uh, you know, Moses, right? But God spares his people anyway, and this spared, undeserving, incapable remnant is what gets to end up eating at the master's table in this thing that we call the church and the Lord's Supper. I mean, I mean— you, you can look at it, I think, on the level that you were describing as kind of like, you know, hey, this is me, and, and you identify with Meshibosheth on an individual level, like thinking of yourself as a baptized believer, but this is also what has happened with the whole church corporately, too, right? It is, and and it's—to um, me, it's striking the the overabundance of provision that David provides for Meshibosheth. You're going to eat at my table always. I mean, that would have been enough for him to say, where do I sign? This is, this is such a great deal. You know, this is wonderful. Um, he could have said, I'm going to give you Ziba's sons and servants, 35 men, to basically work for you. Uh, that would have set Mephibosheth up pretty good for life. Again, beyond what he can deserve. Uh, or he could have said, I'm going to give you uh, the land of your father Saul back. And, and then you can, you know, you can... Uh, sell it and buy a condo, you know, in the villages and, and live happily ever after. You can do whatever you want. Yeah. But he doesn't do one of those three. He does all of them. I mean, and, and again, what I love about this is uh, there's no negotiation, right? There's no, mm -hmm. there's no, if you do this for me, if you right. promise to be good, if you promise to carry my water, all this stuff, it is this wonderful gift of grace over uh, in, in, in abundance that David gives to Mephibosheth and Mephibosheth. I mean, he's, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? David doesn't pause there and say, you know, you are kind of a scumbag. I, you know, you're, you have something there. He ignores mm -hmm. it. When Mephibosheth says, what is your servant um, that you should notice a dead dog like me? The next person that David talks to is Ziba. 
And so this idea of I'm not holding your sins against you, I'm not going to shove your nose in what you've done in the past, all is forgiven, all is uh, atoned for, redeemed. We see that in how Christ treats us, right? That, that he doesn't, he doesn't, <laughs> He doesn't hold our our past sins against us. That's not who we are anymore because of him by grace. But also, again, coming back to there's no negotiation here. This is the way it's going to be. And it's this wonderful, uh, grace-filled thing. And again, you hate to allegorize. I mean, if if your initial move is to allegorize a text, usually you're, you know, you you end up, you know, in a a bad place. But this is one where an allegorical interpretation to the church, to individual Christians, uh, to to us and, and Christ it just fits. It fits so tightly, so um, connectedly that it's impossible to it's impossible to ignore. Or I think even come up with another uh, primary interpretation for this for Christians. I mean, it's it's yeah. right there. Yeah. Well. Yeah. No. I, I think. Um, yeah. No. There's some good reflection there uh, about allegorizing, right? I mean, I, I think that you know, the thing that we've seen again and again, I, the allegorical stuff is awesome, and that's. Uh, I mean, there's a very long tradition in Christian interpretation of allegorizing texts, but if you're going to like get the allegory right, you, you got to get the the actual historical mm-hmm. situation right, or, or else you're just kind of allegorizing not actually the Bible story, but just kind of a misrepresentation of it. And, and like you were saying, you can wind up in who knows where. Um, but but yeah, this I think this story is uh, despite some of the uh, oddities of it, it, it it's kind of. Uh, I think I think we just we get it we we kind of intuitively get uh, what what the narrator is getting at and so um, it, it's just kind of easier to 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 see the allegory and to make it work and I think that one of the other hooks for this here too um, I think the the translation in verse one kind of undersells um, the word in the Hebrew it says that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake well I mean it, it says Hesed right I mean this is the word uh, that we, we've said this word a number of times um, on the on the program, lots of uh, pastors and guests have, have brought it up too. Um, chesed, this is that 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 faithfulness. This is the loyalty, right? The 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 fealty. This is uh, the covenant steadfastness. So th- this it's really more is than just getting... being nice. It's more. Yeah, than that's just, right. I want to do something nice for this guy. Like random act of kindness. Pay it forward. Yeah, it's it's more than that. Yeah. Yeah. No, see, and and I think it gets to what you were saying too, that like not only is he not holding holding on to any past sins uh, of Meshibosheth or his his fathers, right? Um, but he is holding on to what was what, the good thing from the past, which is the covenant that he made with with his father and with his grandfather. I mean, so I mean that just that really shows, I think, just how gracious this is, because it's not like he's like, all right, you know what. I'll be, I'll be, you know, I'll, I'll be a big guy, Mishibasheth. I'm, I'm just giving you a blank slate. I'm just wiping it clean. You can prove yourself, or you can, you know, uh, show show your true colors, right? But we're just starting over, starting fresh. That would be gracious all by itself, right? But he's not even doing mm-hmm. that. I mean, he's he's saying I'm going to cancel all your debts and I'm going to leave all your credits intact. I, I mean, it's, I mean, this is a, I don't know. It, it's more like the way that. Yeah, the, the parable of the unforgiving servant, where you know the the, the master is just going yeah. way above and beyond, or the or the prodigal son, where the father's just going way above and beyond. It, it's it's kind of a well, I mean, it's actually a prodigal level of generosity. 
It, it, re- it really does call to mind the, uh, the, the father of the prodigal son also in that Mephibosheth is treated like family. I mean, he's given all indications of being a son uh, by the end of the by the end of the of the of the passage here, by the end of the chapter, and it um, David goes above and beyond. And you have to wonder, just like the father of the prodigal son would have looked like a fool to his servants, yeah. uh, to the neighbors, uh, David kind of looks a little crazy here. I mean, this isn't how kings treat uh, descendants of former monarchs. That you don't do this, um, but David does. And again, I think I think it hinges on that. I'm not just going to show him hesed or like a general notion of being nice. I'm going to show him God's hesed. I'm going to show him God's kindness. And, yeah. and he gives us an, the object lesson of object lessons. Um, are we going to have time to get into the rest of the story, chapter 16, 19, and 21, where we – the story of Mephibosheth doesn't end here. And it's, it's kind of a – I'd like to get your thoughts, actually, on, yeah. on how it ends. Okay. Um, yeah, we, we, we can, stop we can at spoiler nine, alert, but <laughs> no, we can we can we can briefly make a connection. What are you thinking of? What? Well, I think I it's we, just interesting. Yeah. Just just some some editorializing. So every time I teach Mephibosheth, like to a new group, they've never heard of him, mm-hmm. and you're going, okay, I get he's Old Testament, but he's in <laughs> yeah. five different parts of second. He's a, he's not a passing character in Second yeah. Samuel. He's in five different chapters. That's he's right, in, and one of them's all about him in nine years. But if you go on to chapter 16, basically David is fleeing, right? And, and Ziba comes out and says, oh, by the way, that, that dead dog Mephibosheth is back in Jerusalem uh, hitching his wagon to the next in charge. He's betraying mm-hmm. you. And, and David doesn't like this. But the question is, is Ziba telling the truth? And then in chapter 19, Mephibosheth comes out to Now David's coming back in. Uh, he's going to be king again. And Mephibosheth comes out to meet David and you can see by his appearance that he's been mourning. He hasn't trimmed his nails or cut his hair. Uh, he's mourning. And so that tells you that he, was, he had never betrayed David. He was always in line with him. But then you get to chapter 21, and I really like your thoughts on it because I was preparing for this. Uh, and you, you, know, you know the guests you have on the show. We, spend, uh, we have as pastors just hours and hours and hours to, to prepare. <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right. I'll, so, I'll, just all we do is pretty much read First, Second Samuel, yeah. <laughs> contemplative, right? The Hebrews yeah, out there, right. different that's scrolls right. and right. whatever. Right. So I didn't get a chance to really figure out how this ends. So yeah. um, it, it, it's with it, it, chapter 21, the first nine verses, um, more or less, David promises to give the night, sorry for for all that's happened to you, I'll give you whatever you want. And they say, well, we want um, the heads of, um, how do they say this? Saul's um, sons. Basically, they want, they want Mephibosheth and yeah, six others brought before them so they can kill them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it says in verse 7, but the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Saul's son, Jonathan. So this is our guy, Mephibosheth. There's not like a second Mephibosheth roaming around that we haven't heard of. This is the guy. Uh, because of the oath of the Lord that was between them, between David and Jonathan, son of Saul. Yeah. The, then, okay, so that sounds like a happy ending, right? He, the king won't turn yeah. him over. But then it says, the king took the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Ahiah, whom she bore to Saul, and it's all these names, Amari, or Armoni, and Mephibosheth, and the five sons of Merab, the daughter of Saul, whom she bore to Adriel, the son of Barzillia, yeah. the Mahalanite and gave them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them on the mountain before the Lord, and the seven of them perished together. 
Yeah. And it, it, in one, it sounds like Mephibosheth gets off, and the other one, it sounds like he's <sighs> hanging from a tree. So, yeah, it, 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 well, it kind of you you don't want to extend the allegorization of Second Samuel nine uh, out to chapter twenty one because the analogy there between us and Mephibosheth uh, falls apart. Oh, wow. See, I just had the opposite thing just flash through my head, which was I thought you were going to say that, like, like Christ takes our shameful name, Meshibosheth, and dies in our place. Um, and, like, you know, wow, chapter 21, like, completes the allegory. But, oh, well, that's the fun thing with allegory. <laughs> you can, <laughs> right. Right. Can I just go do the opposite thing too? Yeah. No. Actually, um, I was. I yeah. I, I peeked at chapter twenty-one. There. Well, because it gets to something kind of weird actually in this text. So if I can, I can make a like a slight detour before I get to that. Um, so you got the question, right? You know, hang on a second. Who's left from the house of Saul? And it says here. Um, okay. So there's still a son of Jonathan, is what Ziba initially says, right? But then, okay. So this this is the thing what was what's kind of interesting. So there's a couple instances of him being referred to as Jonathan's son, but then in verse seven, uh, David says, "I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father." Um, and then this is interesting too in verse nine again when uh, when David's talking, uh, all that belonged to Saul and all his house I've given to your masters. It says grandson. Well, it says there, um, the son, or, or, or actually, um, yeah, it, it actually says your your master's son there. So it, it's kind of an interesting thing, because whenever it seems like David talks about Meshibosheth, he refers to him as Saul's son, um, but whenever someone else talks about him in this chapter, um, it's as the son of Jonathan, son of Saul. So I, I think that's one of those... Uh, I don't know. That's one of those patterns than like what you mentioned in chapter 21 that I, I haven't looked, but I bet money on it that there's probably someone who's come along and said like, well, this indicates, you know, it's further proof of there being, you know, multiple sources in Second uh, Samuel. And there's one that has this interpretation of who Meshavisheth was and this other one who has this interpretation of who Meshavisheth is. And uh, well, I mean, we have seen this too with like multiple um Hinoams, <laughs> right? And there's people who have different takes on that. But I, you know, putting that stuff kind of aside, I, I think that the the straightforward thing, right, is that well, n- names tended to get recycled in families. <laughs> we actually we actually saw this in chapter eight, um, just right beforehand, where it says that Ahimelech, the son of Abiathar, was priest. Um, and this this happens so fast that like I doubt anyone caught it. In fact, I didn't catch it the first time. Um, but when you stop and you think about it, you're like, hang on a second. I thought Abiathar was the son of Ahimelech. <laughs> Which way is it, right? Well, likely solution without like, you know, positing all this kind of crazy stuff is that there was a guy named Ahimelech. He named his son Abiathar. And then his son Abiathar named his son after his grandpa. And that happened like all the time. So I, I think that you just kind of have a, a, like a very um, strong pattern of naming uh, people, uh, naming your children after like their, their, their uh, aunts, uncles, uh, grandmas and grandpas. And that happens just kind of left and right. You know, you kind of think about John the Baptist, 
uh, you know, how he wasn't named after any of Zechariah's relatives and everyone was scandalized by that. So that was a big deal. Yeah. Right. So exactly. No, no. His name is John. I don't care about the, the, the the standing (laughs) tradition and the expectation. Right. Um, but it's a big deal. Um, but so, yeah, so that's like a really long way of saying like, yeah, it seems like there's, um, a different Mishibosheth in the family, which just shouldn't really surprise us, though. Um, but David, staying true to his word, is not cutting off the whole house. He will spare a remnant. Did I actually answer the question? This is <laughs> maybe. I think. I think. Put, a, put an asterisk <laughs> on your calendar that whoever comes out for Second Samuel twenty-one, like make sure they've done their homework because just, <laughs> just star and circle that. Yeah. Yeah. This is yeah. the easy step for 2 Samuel 9, right? This was, yeah, yeah, when you get this text, you know, you're going to do Old Testament and you get this one, it's pretty good. That's that's a little more complex. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, but, I, my thing is reading through is that this guy Mephibosheth has a very, uh, an interesting life for someone um, whose future should have been dictated by the ascendancy of David to the throne. And his life definitely went in a direction he didn't think. I mean, from, and yeah. if you want to extend the analogy uh, or, or the uh, allegory, um, he's betrayed by Ziba uh, pretty clearly. And that, again, in the life of the believer, right, that's, uh, that's, not, that's not uncommon. Um, but he remains loyal to David, yeah. even when it looks like David may not be the winning team. Uh, yeah. and again, when it comes back in chapter 19, he hasn't cut his hair, he hasn't cut his nails. Um, he, he's this almost looking guy, right? I mean, he's disheveled looking, but to show that he remained loyal to David. And at a time when, again, allegorizing at a time when uh, loyalty to Christ in our culture isn't going to get you anything. In fact, it may get you, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, a lawsuit, a result in persecution, right? Um, there are examples of people remaining loyal, you know, this, again, allegory of remaining faithful, of, yeah. trying to emulate the Lord's uh, covenant faithfulness or hesed in our lives as much as we, as much as we can. Um, and, and you, you do see that a little bit in Mephibosheth. Again, it gets a little confusing in chapter 21, but uh, no, yeah. this is one of those Mephibosheth, uh, other than it's really hard to say and spell, and we're not going to name our kids after him, um, <laughs> should be a household name. Uh, yeah. Well, an incredible life. Okay, so okay, you, you mentioned this, right? You don't <laughs> you jokingly said, you know, this isn't what you name your children if you love them, <laughs> um, and and so I was just I was just kind of chuckling about that because like, well, hang on a second, this is Jonathan, right? Jonathan's a good guy. He's not naming his kid like you know you know dog breath because he hates his children. Um, so why why is he naming his kid you know Meshibosheth, right? Well, I, I think that there's actually very strong textual evidence. Um, that this is another name change, just like how Ishbosheth was almost certainly not actually uh, Ishbosheth, but actually Ishbael. Um, same thing here. You'd expect that this was kind of an M. Baal name. Um, scholars have pointed to um, mm-hmm. Marie Baal, which, uh, so I guess you'd say like Maribel. Um, isn't like Maribel like a name? Like it's a girl's name, I think, but. Um, sounds like and, the girl's name. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Like it's like your ah, your point. You know, like they, well, come on, give him a girl's name. But no, it wouldn't have been a girl's name. Um, it would have been a pretty strong name. Um, like Marie Bale would have been something along the lines of like you know God contends for me or or like really more particularly like the Lord, uh, the Lord will present my case or the Lord will fight 
for my cause or something like this. Like the, the Lord contends for me. Uh, going back to the idea of how Baal was at that time, uh, the word that was used for Lord instead of Adonai. And, that, and you see that on David's own lips, how after his victory against the Philistines a few chapters ago, he calls the place, um, it was like, it was like, what was it? Pizar Baal or something like that. Um, Parat's Baal. Um, so, so I think that's pretty interesting because um, I think his name actually, in fact, actually kind of in almost in fact, Ziba's name kind of actually helps tell the story. Um, because it, literally here, uh, the Lord is actually fighting up, uh, fighting His cause, uh, standing up for uh, Meshebesheth or uh, Maribel's cause. Because He says, as you pointed out, uh, David, that He wants to show the kindness of God, right? So because God has shown David grace, because the Lord has shown him grace, and has made these covenants and has uh, really been true to Abraham's covenant, right, in the way that he's blessed David, that moves David to be kind and to be faithful to the covenants um, and to spare then for his fellow servants. So this is this, this is like the Lord's parable of like the unforgiving servant, but it's actually the forgiving servant in David. The, the Lord has has enabled David to do this. And so because of the Lord doing this with David, the Lord is really the one who's, sh- who's saving um Maribel, I mean, I, I'm so so. I, I think I don't know. What do, what do you think about that? Like, I I I think the names are almost. They always seem to be so deliberately uh, mentioned, and and the stories seem to be so deliberately crafted around the names. The names the names definitely tell a story, right? Um, as as you were talking about uh, what David does in terms of forgiving, um. It's forgiving and it's restoring because forgiving would yeah. be, I'm not going to kill you because you're connected to Saul. Yeah. Have a nice day. And that yeah, would right. have been more than Mephibosheth would have expected. So um, again, getting back to the names, I, I do think you see that in the overabundance of provision that David provides from Mephibosheth more even than he would provide for natural born members of his household. It would seem uh, restoring Saul's land to him, giving him 35 of Ziba's sons and servants, eating at the table always. Um, does David treat his own children that well? You know, and it's, it is, you definitely see the name, the, the treatment of Mephibosheth. So notice when the Lord forgives us, it's not just, uh, I'm not going to punish you now, now get out of here. You know, it's, I'm not just not going to punish you. I'm going to give you that which you do not deserve, uh, forgiveness, right. life, salvation. Um, well, well, and I think and yet, along those you lines... You absolutely see that reflected in, 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 uh, in Maribel. Yeah, well, and I think that along the same lines, if, if you see this as, you know, the, because of the grace that God shows David, David turns around and bestows royal grace on, um, you know, on Maribel. Well, that's the same thing, really, in the resurrection. That I mean, because this is the way that the Scriptures talk, that, that God shows his son grace in, in a sense that, that, you know, he gets crucified and, and, and rejected. And then God says, no, this isn't right. I'm, I'm going to answer his prayers and I'm going to bring him back from the dead and I'm going to make him uh, Lord in Christ. And, and so there's this sense where he gives this, this grace and this resurrection. And because of that, then we turn around 
he, well, he turns around and gives to us then, like you were saying, not just a, oh, okay, like here, here, a pardon, you know, a commuter sentence, but royal riches, right? And and that's the idea of like the, the ascension. Um, man, I could just go, I, mean, I, lo- I love the allegory stuff. I think it's totally legit. I, I think it helps bring out the themes. Well, and, and- and you have you have good good standing to to allegorize text because when Jesus interprets his parable, he allegorizes, right? That's so right. We're, That's right. We're, we're in good footing there. I, I want to get maybe one last question in since we're about out of time here. Um, so one of the things that came in over email here was, I, I guess, kind of taking this where David seems so gracious, right, and contrasting it with his harsh words with uh, Michal. Uh, earlier, right? Um, you know, with, with his with his first wife, how you know he's like, hey, well, I'm the king, so you know, forget you. Um, I, I'll I'll dance around like a like a crazy guy um, if I want to, because you know, <laughs> yeah, hey, yeah. God made me this, right? Um, I mean, that does seem like a very striking contrast. Like, in the on the one hand, it's like David gets a big head and is is really terrible to his wife um, because of his status with God, but here because of God's faithfulness to him him turning around and acting then also with kindness. I mean, that, that is, I think that is a striking kind uh, con- contrast. Um, do you make anything of that? You de- and, and is it that he, he now is saying, I am, he doesn't promise Michael, you know, Hey, by the way, the way I'm treating you is the way God's treated me. Um, yeah. So you're seeing David being David and, yeah. and maybe acting a little bit rashly, maybe offering a defense of, look, this is my relationship with God is more important than, uh, you know, uh, how you view my actions. Um, but at any rate, he doesn't, pre- he's not, the, the author of the text does not indicate that what David is doing there is godly. He's just reporting the facts. But here, the author shows us that what David is doing is his best approximation of the character, grace, and chesed of God. Uh. Yeah, I, I like the the the, uh, the best approximation, right? So, I mean, that's the thing. We we pray that you know, Lord, have mercy, and may we not get big heads, and may we just approximate a little bit of the grace that He has given us instead of lording it over others. Thank you so much, brother. Love the conversation today. Again, congratulations uh, on the child on the way. God bless. Produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri. Uh, everybody has Pastor Duncan McClellan at St. Paul Ankeny, Iowa, going on chapter 10. Till next time, I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Peace. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.